Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 3, 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, and although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that your presence is here with us this morning, so we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would, uh, we would hear your voice, and that you would Uh, speak to the deepest parts of who we are. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. My little stand here keeps rolling down. We'll just go from here. Well, uh, I've never had that happen before. That's an interesting one. Uh, I've been known to overstate things. Maybe I just overstated something right there. I've been known to uh, overstate things over the years, and uh, my wife will tell you that this is uh, absolutely true, uh, and she probably would be able to give you lots of different examples of ways I've overstated things. I've been known to get frustrated with the Ravens or the Orioles and declare uh, to my family that I refuse to watch them for the rest of the season, and then, of course, the next day, I'm watching them all over again. In some ways, I think it's a Baltimorean thing. Maybe that's true. Maybe a lot of people in Baltimore become passionate about things, so we tend to overstate things. But I've been known to bite into a burger and say it's the best burger ever made or to drink a cup of coffee and nickname it as the nectar of the gods because it has been uh, so good. And I think, uh, so I just tend to overstate things, even things that uh, I become very passionate about. Well, Leon Morris, who is a commentator and a uh, a New Testament scholar, uh, once said this about the paragraph that we just read in Romans chapter 3. He said that this could possibly be the single most important paragraph ever written. And this week, as I've uh, studied this passage, I'm prone to think that what he said is actually not an overstatement. Because this paragraph gets to the heart of humanity's greatest problem, and then it points to the solution, which is far greater than our minds could even imagine. Uh, I told some folks this week that uh, as I studied the passage, I really felt like I could have written three uh, different sermons on this passage because it's just so rich. There's just so much in here. But instead, we'll have to settle for really just three main thoughts or points of this passage. The first is the failure of our goodness. The second is the gift of God's goodness. And then finally, the, the foolishness of boasting. 
The first thing we see is, is really the failure of our goodness. And we see this uh, very succinctly put in verse 23 where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have what I like to call freeze-frame moments of my childhood. These are our moments that I remember vividly and all the elements and the pieces to it. You see, so much of, of what happens in our childhood we forget, but there often are small, sometimes very insignificant moments that we just remember. And I will never forget one such moment in Mrs. Maloney's sixth grade class. I can picture it in my mind right now. I can smell the way the sixth grade classroom smelled, which was never good. Uh, The classroom was very bright. There was a weird texture on the wall. I can remember all of this. And I remember specifically that I had noticed a cute girl in the class. Her name was Rosemary Bellino. Can you believe I even remember that? And I uh, I had just gotten up the courage to go and talk to Rosemary Bellino for the first time. And, and my friends knew all that I was thinking, and they knew all that was about to happen. So they watched from a distance to see what was going to happen when I went and talked to this girl. So I remember I walked over uh, nervously, trying to pull myself together, and then we began to talk, and things were going well. Well, what was interesting about that day is it was gym day. Okay, and it was gym day, and back in those days, you would wear these, it was during wintertime, and you would wear these sweats, okay? And in particular, the sweats would have these sweat pants, there would be the sweatpants that would have the elastic waist to them. You can see where I'm perhaps going with this story. So as I'm talking to Rosemary Bellino, my friends, quote unquote, uh, come behind me and do the unthinkable. They pants me in this moment. And there I am standing there in front of Rosemary Bellino. I was exposed, not just in front of this cute girl, but in front of the whole class who all found this episode uh, much funnier than I did in the moment. Well, the Apostle Paul in the first three chapters of Romans is exposing us. He's exposing us for who we really are. He cuts through all the ways that we try to deceive ourselves and to fool ourselves into thinking that we are something that we are not. Now, he's not doing it in a cruel way, but he's doing it in the most healthy way possible because he's telling us that not only have each one of us sinned and disobeyed God's law, but all of us fall short of the standard that God sets for us. Uh, Psalm 15, which we read uh, in the service last week, uh, says something very succinctly and very powerfully. It asks a powerful question. It starts off this way, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, God, who gets in? Who gets to to dwell in your presence? Who gets to spend all of eternity in heaven with you? And then it quickly answers that question. Verse 2, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. In other words, those who are without blame get into heaven. 
Those who have perfectly kept God's law and commandments get to dwell in God's presence. You see, what Paul wants us to see is he wants us to see not just our sin, but also the failure of our goodness or our righteousness. He wants us to see that we, all of us, based on our record, could never ascend into God's presence. John Stott said this, he said, all human beings of every race and rank, of every creed and culture, Jews and Gentiles, the immoral and the moralizing, the righteous and the irreligious, all without any exception are sinful, guilty, inexcusable, and speechless before God. This was the terrible human predicament described in Romans 1 to 3. There is no ray of light, no flicker of hope, and no prospect of rescue. You see, we could never ascend to God's presence. So God himself chose to descend from his holy hill. And that really is the second thing that, that we see in this passage, and that is the gift of God's goodness. It says this in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. If you were with us last week, we talked about uh, the Hans Christian Andersen story, the emperor uh, and his new clothes. And if you remember, uh, the emperor, the deceived emperor, walks through the street in great pride over his wonderful clothes that he was given, which weren't really clothes at all. And no one says anything at all except for a child who looks at the emperor and said, he's wearing no clothes. And in that moment, the emperor is exposed. And, and in many ways, this is what Paul does, and this is what the gospel must do to us first. It must expose us for who we really are. We have to come to terms with our own spiritual guilt and our own spiritual poverty before God. But here's the beautiful thing, is that God doesn't leave us exposed. He doesn't leave us naked, standing in the dark. Instead, he takes us in and he dresses us up. He clothes us in his goodness and in his righteousness. If you think back to the story of, of Adam and Eve in the first few chapters of Genesis, you'll remember that Adam and Eve says that Adam and Eve were naked and without shame. And then they did the very thing they weren't supposed to do. They broke the one law that God had given to them and their eyes were opened. The passage says that they saw their nakedness and, and they felt shame for the very first time. And, and because of that, they chose to run and hide away from God. And then what Genesis tells us is that God comes to them and He does what God does. He clothes them. You see, they had tried to cover themselves by coverings that were inadequate. So what God does is He sheds the first blood by killing an animal and He clothes them. It's a very subtle but beautiful picture that one day God would offer up a perfect sacrifice that innocent blood would be shed so that you and I can be covered, 
so that we who are spiritually naked and exposed can be clothed. Friends, we can try to cover ourselves up with our moralism. We can do it by trying to do better, by trying to work harder, by trying to obey the law, but all those things at the end of the day are inadequate. We need God to dress us. This really is the the point here of verse 21. We need a new covering, and God has come to give it to us. When by faith someone comes to God despairing of their own goodness, God gives them His goodness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Verse 24 tells us that we are made right, we are justified by God's grace, His undeserving favor. Verse 25 tells us we were redeemed or brought back, we who were enslaved by sin, we've been purchased back to God, and and the cost was great. The cost was the life of His very own Son. God put forth His own Son to, to satisfy the wrath that we had deserved. It had to be done this way, verse 26 tells us. It's the only way for God to make us right with Him and yet at the same time maintain His perfect justice. I like to think about it this way, and maybe you've heard this illustration before. Imagine that I have uh, incurred a a massive financial debt, one that uh, I will never be able to pay back in a lifetime or maybe even three lifetimes. And imagine the the creditor comes to my door and, and he knocks on my door and in fear and trepidation, I open the door realizing that the creditor is there to collect And he tells me, your debt has been entirely wiped away. It's been entirely forgiven. Now, of course, I would be very excited that my debt had been given, but I still would have a very big problem. Even though I no longer had any debt, I would still be what? I would still be absolutely dead broke. But imagine that same creditor comes and knocks on my door and he says that your debt has been forgiven, but he then tells me that your account has actually been credited. It has been accredited with great riches. You see, friends, in Christian circles, we tend to focus on the fact that we are forgiven by God, and that's a very good thing. It's a good thing to celebrate and to dwell on but it is only just a part of it. Because not only has our spiritual debt been forgiven, but our account has also been credited. We have been credited with the riches and the perfection of Jesus Christ. This is the thing that that God declares about us. He declares that we are righteous because by faith we've been covered in the righteousness of Christ. We've been dressed in His goodness. So when the time comes, we can ascend the hill of God. We can enter into His presence, not because we are blameless, but because we have been given the blamelessness of Jesus. This God freely gives to us. It is only our task to receive it by faith. 
Martin Luther talked talked about this. He said that like the soil that receives rain from the heavens, so the gospel showers us with the righteousness of Christ. We are simply left to receive it. Ephesians 1 tells us that that all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm, all of them, all the blessings that there are in existence are ours in Jesus Christ. He has given us the wealth of His righteousness. See, friends, God does expose us for who we are, but by faith He dresses us up in who Jesus is Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he said, the man who has faith is the man who no longer is looking at himself, no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work, and he rests on that alone. You see, Jesus' goodness and His righteousness freely given to us is the only ground with which we can truly rest on. So, we see the failure of our goodness. We see the gift of God's goodness, but finally we see the foolishness of boasting. Look at verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. I heard uh, this illustration once, and I thought it was really helpful in describing what Paul is really getting at here. Imagine for a moment that, that we lined up three swimmers at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay, and we told them that they had to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. One would be a, a beginning swimmer, The other would be a a moderate swimmer, and imagine that the third was a a professional swimmer, a Michael Phelps-type swimmer, and we we say go, and they all start out. And the beginning swimmer gets a bit out, and then he begins to sink because he's tired. The moderate swimmer gets just a little bit farther, and then he begins to sink because he gets tired as well. Finally, the professional swimmer gets even farther out, but even he gets tired, and eventually he sinks because the length is impossible. Each swimmer is, in turn, rescued by someone who is in a boat. Now, do you think that while the swimmers are all in that boat after having been rescued, that they are all bragging about their swimming ability? Do you think they're arguing or comparing themselves to each other? Do you think the professional swimmer is saying, well, if I would just have had a bit more uh, training or a few extra hours of sleep last night, I could have pulled it off? No, they're not saying that at all. Why? Because all that talk would be foolish. They would be celebrating their rescue. Friends, I think at the end of the day, there's really two ways to live. There's the way of foolish boasting. This is the way where you can try to earn your way back to God through the law. And if you do, you will constantly be feeling like you always need to work harder. You will feel the need to just appear a little more righteous than everyone else 
around you. You may find yourself being overly critical of others just so you can feel better about yourself. You'll be prone to to rank people and to rank them by their usefulness to you. You'll be enslaved to proving yourself to others. You'll be prone to feeling defensive and trying to blame shift and move the blame away from yourself. Romans 1 to 3 tells us that this way is hopeless, like trying to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. But the other way to live is the gospel way, to live in light of the power of the message of the gospel. It's resting in the goodness and the righteousness of God that was accomplished on your behalf. So instead of boasting in yourself, you boast only in your rescuer. You don't feel the need to appear righteous all the time before other people because your righteousness comes from God, and it can never be threatened. You're freed to love others well rather than use them to simply feel better about yourself. You'll be freed from having to prove yourself to other people because you've already been declared righteous in Jesus. You're free to boast in your weaknesses because Christ has become your strength. Martin Luther said that when he discovered this paragraph in Romans, he said, the doors of paradise flung open and I walked through. Friends, this gospel is the only path to freedom. It is the mysterious absolute that must be embraced for each one of us to experience life. By faith, all of this is yours in Christ Jesus. This is God's gift of grace. Let's pray.